you're sick of all the abundance gurus who preach the power of mindset or financial experts who scold you for enjoying the occasional latte, then you are in the right place. The Mind Money Balance Show explores the intersection of mental health and money. We explore broader factors that impact your financial life as a whole. I'm your host, Lindsay Bryan Podvin. I'm a financial therapist, woman of color, author, and founder of the company Mind Money Balance. When I'm not nerding out on the emotional and psychological side of money, you can usually find me walking my pup and listening to an astrology podcast or curled up with a giant bowl of popcorn watching Bravo TV. This show originally airs as a video on my YouTube channel. So if you hear me say things like, as you can see here, or click this, you'll have to head over to the YouTube link that's linked in the show notes to see exactly what I'm referencing. And if you want to jump into the community, you can join in on the conversation in the comments section over on YouTube. With that, let's go. If you've been here a little while, you know that I am maybe not the nicest person when it comes to the traditional financial influencers or personal finance advice. And I thought maybe it was time to explain a little bit more about why specifically why they are often wrong and what they omit from their content. And when I say their content, I mean everything from books, TV shows, radio shows, you name it. Let's get into the different reasons why personal finance gurus are wrong and why they're probably making you feel like garbage. One, if I can do it, so can you. This is something that is embedded in a lot of the old school personal finance advice. This is the idea that if something worked for me, then it can work for you. And the reason it probably makes you feel like garbage is because it doesn't take into account why they were able to do what they do. It seems like, well, if I could save up an emergency fund, so can you. And if I can talk to my boss about getting a raise, so can you. Instead of thinking about the unique individual circumstances that that person had, that allowed them the ability to save up for an emergency fund or negotiate a raise. You are different. That is a good thing. We are all different. And I know that sounds like this funny little like snowflake thing, but it is what it is. We all have different experiences in life. And it's so ridiculous to say that because I did something, so can you. And it sets us up to feel like garbage because it kind of goes along with the gaslighting within the space of money mindset. I talk about that in a different video. It's a whole thing. But it's this idea that if you didn't do it, it's solely your fault without taking into consideration all the other things that might be going on. Two, the myth that rich people just work harder. This is such BS. Oftentimes we know that hard work is not associated with a good income. And even if it is associated with a good income, let's say, it doesn't necessarily mean that that person will be able to become rich. Think about people that you know who are some of the most dedicated to their crafts or just happen to work really hard. There are plenty of people out there working two, three, four jobs. I'm talking multiple full or part-time jobs plus side hustles, and they're busting their behinds, but they might not be rich. And that is not because of a lack of work ethic or an ability to work hard. So this idea that rich people have gotten where they are because they worked really hard and they put in the time, that's like so irritating because a lot of times hard work is not associated with financial outcomes. Three. A lot of traditional personal finance content creators like to do clickbaity titles like secrets the rich don't want you to know. And oftentimes what they're saying is they're selling you on these get rich quick tactics. 
things like, oh, you know, crypto or things like stock picking. Look, if it were really that easy that we could just pick three to five stocks that took off like rockets, we would all be in better shape. And it would also be so much more likely that more and more people were getting rich because a lot of people, when they think about investing, they think about stock picking versus thinking about plain old vanilla, low load index funds that tend to outperform people who are actual individual stock pickers or mutual fund managers. The other thing that happens a lot with these secrets is they're often trying to sell you something. They're often trying to sell you crypto or whole life insurance policies. I get so irritated when people say that the key to setting yourself up for retirement or the key to setting your family up is buying something like crypto or buying a whole life insurance policy. Crypto works because it is a pyramid scheme, <laughs> more or less. And the more people that buy in, the more people who already have the crypto are able to earn more money. I'm not saying I'm anti-crypto. I'm just saying it is not a get-rich-quick thing. If crypto is a part of your portfolio, I think that's totally fine. Disclaimer, this is not financial advice. This is just me ranting. Crypto can be a part of things, just like life insurance. Generally, most of us don't need whole life insurance, but just like life insurance is a part of things. I have a term policy. My partner has a term policy. I do think it is super, super important if you have things like a house or if you have kids or you're caring for an aging adult. Those are really good reasons to have life insurance, but buying up life insurance as a way to get rich quick is wrong. Think about when people are saying, here are the secrets you need to get rich quick. What are they selling you? And, and I'm not talking about like a $15 book. Oftentimes they're selling you something that is big, something that is complicated. If you cannot explain it to your partner or to your friend, then it's probably too complex for it to be a part of your portfolio. Just my two cents. If you are loving today's episode and want more, you can inquire about bringing me in to speak at your conference or to your organization. Simply head to mindmoneybalance.com slash speaking to get in touch. I've tailored presentations for professional development days at regional healthcare organizations, personal finance content creators at large conferences, and financial self-care for employee resource groups. Reach out and let's start talking about what could be beneficial for your workplace or conference needs. Again, that's mindmoneybalance.com slash speaking. Back to the episode. Number five, I think personal finance gurus get a kick out of schadenfreude. I don't speak German, so my pronunciation might be totally off the mark, but schadenfreude is the German word that essentially loosely translates to personally taking pleasure in somebody else's pain. And I think a lot of the traditional personal finance experts have really made a name out of leveraging that nastiness. Think about the types of videos, podcasts, or radio shows that are enticing to listen to. They're the big, flashy types of stories, like mother of three blows it all on a race boat, or college students spends all of their student loans on fancy tennis shoes, right? Like all of these obnoxious things. They're these things that highlight the personal flaws of a person and how could they be so dumb and they get a kick, I think, out of being like, you're dumb, you're stupid, you messed up. And that stuff really does help with ratings. I think it's really dangerous when a lot of the content is built around exploiting a person's personal pain. 
Six is the self-made myth. This is a little different from the, if I can do it, so can you, and rich people work harder. But it's this myth that a lot of people who become millionaires or billionaires did it all by themselves. When, if we think about the three to five billionaires who come to our heads, they did not start from nothing. They were born several different rungs up the ladder. And then as they got older, they also had these other things that helped move them to where they were. When we think about the people like Bill Gates, Bezos, and Elon Musk, I hate even saying some of their names. Like it's like a full body cringe moment. They are a part of this self-made myth. We started in a garage or we started with $300 or I was a college dropout. But the reality is some of those things may be true, but a lot of those stories have been buffed to really fit into this neat package that you can start with nothing. And if you work really hard, you can make a lot of money. When in reality, most of them had a ton of help from their families. Bill Gates' mom was the one who made the intro to Bill Gates and IBM. So there were some social network connections there. Bezos' parents loaned him money so he could start Amazon. And we're not talking $1,000 or $5,000. It's reported that his parents loaned him $245,000. And that was in 1995. So let's do the math and see what that would be today. And he who shall not be named comes from emerald mining wealth. Zuckerberg also took out a loan from his father. And again, we're not talking about one to $5,000. We're talking about $100,000. So this idea that you are self-made without any help is just so ridiculous. Not to mention that all these people that I mentioned also happen to have two big things in common that you can fill in the blank. They are blank and also blank. And finally, when it comes to the thing that really drives me nuts about traditional personal finance, it's this idea that these little holes in your budget are the things that are sinking you. It's the myth that avocado toast is why millennials can't buy houses. It's the myth that Gen Zers are thrifting too much and that's why they can't afford college. All that stuff is so ridiculous. When we actually think about what is financially moving the needle, it's not the three to five dollar purchases it's much more likely that a person is in a system where they are earning really low wages or they are in a place where the cost of living is exorbitant or they live in a place where healthcare is tied to whether or not you're employed. It is not these little holes that are sinking a person's financial ship, which is the bread and butter of what these traditional personal finance gurus are telling you. It's much more systematic than that. And when we omit the systems that impact how we are doing financially, again, it makes us feel so bad. We're like, oh my gosh, it must have been that pack of gum that I bought when I filled up my gas tank. And it's like, it's very rarely that. Yes, those things can make a difference when you are like down to the penny. But when we think about long term, it's often those bigger purchases. Let's think about a person who did not have access to credit. Some of my financial privilege is that my mom was wise enough to put me as an authorized user on her credit card when I was a teenager. I didn't know, but it meant that when I went to apply for my own things like credit cards or auto loans, I already had years of good credit history tied to my name, right? That is a privilege that a lot of us don't acknowledge and having good credit starting out meant that I had access to bigger lines of credit and it also meant I had access to lower interest rates. 
Let's imagine a person who did not have that financial privilege, which most people don't, let's be clear, and they're 18 and they're looking to buy a car. They have no credit. They go to one of those kind of shady places that gives everybody credit, but they don't realize that they're in a really predatory loan that's at 15, 20, 25% for a car loan. And if they fall behind, they're really quick to repossess those cars. And when your car gets repossessed, your credit takes a huge dive, meaning it's harder to climb out of that hole. So it is not the little expenses in those scenarios. It's that when we start out behind, we often stay behind. It's harder just to break even. So if you're feeling shamed that it's the lattes, it's the toast, it's the shopping, in most cases, it might be like 5% of it, but there's so many other systems that impact what's going on. So this is my call to you. Unfollow, unsubscribe, donate those books, or maybe use them as kindling for a fire. I don't care. Think about if this person's making me feel like garbage, are they taking into consideration my lived experience that includes my mental health, where I was born, the type of access I had to different financial products? And if they are not considering you as a whole person, that's a good cue that you can unfollow them. My loving permission to you. I would love to know what other things personal finance gurus have got wrong that keep getting churned out. Let me know in the comments below. I'm always curious to hear what different people have taken from personal finance gurus. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please do me a favor and rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast player. This quick but meaningful action helps to support the show and helps others discover it too. I love connecting with my listeners. So if something resonated, take a screenshot of the episode and tag me over on Instagram at mindmoneybalance. This podcast simply wouldn't be possible without the help of others. I want to thank RJ Basio, who edits this podcast, and Liberty Sales, who helps market the show to help people who need it find it. The cover art and episode art design is by Jenny H. Design. Disclaimer, everything on this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Neither the host or guests are rendering legal, financial, accounting, mental health, investing, medical, or other professional advice. If you want professional help, please seek it out.